Okay, welcome to the People of Color and OA Special Focus Meeting. My name is Kia, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Kia. Hi. Hi. And you're speak one of the speakers for this meeting. Please join me in the Serenity Prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones and other electronic devices... Do you mind maybe closing that door? That's a good idea. Oh. Okay, good. I was going to say, are we being taped, but there's no microphone. <laughs> <laughs> is that... Oh, oh, it is. Okay, here we go. I think so. <laughs> oh. Okay. Um, to protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. The format for this 55-minute session is as follows. A short reading. Mm -hmm. Oh. Is it, it might be in there. Oh, good. The yeah, it wasn't ours. Oh. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Um, well, it will be us sharing. <laughs> <laughs> For 15 to 20 minutes and followed by open sharing. Have a book on abstinence. You want to waste more time trying to figure it out. Okay, okay. Just, good, we'll, good, we'll good, good, just, good, just good. Gonna ride. And I'll time you. Okay, that'll be good. Um, and then we'll have open sharing after that. And I am just so glad that the uh, three of you are here. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I always say when I'm doing a talk that whoever it is that needs to be here will be here and I was absolutely prepared to tell her and she could tell me <laughs> it's, it's all good I have to be honest and um, I, I feel like I can do that when I was told to do a people of color uh, special focus talk um, I was excited about that until I really thought well what does that mean and what does that look like um, and then I had nothing I had nothing um, nothing different necessarily that I can say about being a person of color in this fellowship I feel that I've been so embraced, that I can say, I, I feel I've been so embraced by every person that I've encountered. Um, I'm also a lesbian, so that's one thing as well that I have not had a problem in this fellowship having people just accept and love. So if I have an experience to share about being a person of color in this fellowship, that is the experience. Um, and now on to the talk. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll let I'm, you know after five. Um, uh, I mean 15. And yeah, and then five more. Yeah. And I'm actually going to stand. Sure. Okay. That's good. Better standing. Okay. Um, as I said before, my name is Kian. I'm a compulsive eater. Hi, Kian. Hi, yeah. um, and to qualify pretty briefly, I have been in program for almost uh, 12 years. It'll be 12 years at the end of the year. I've lost about 150 pounds. I came into the fellowship because I was doing some really weird things with food. Um, and those weird things run the gamut of eating whole pizzas scoping out bakeries. I mean, I used to, I was on a first name basis with the bakers and that were close to where it was. And I gained a lot of weight in a very short period of time. And I was in college and I had talked to a therapist because I kind of had the idea that maybe it was just me that was doing these weird things. And when I talked to my therapist about it, she's like, you know, there are other people that are doing those same things, and you need to go and talk to them. You need to go find them. And these, it's at the Overeaters Anonymous. Here's a list for meetings. Why don't you go and check it out? And I was in Alabama at the time. Um, and so I can, if you can imagine that in different places, a way, you know, it's different sizes. It was very small in the town that I lived in in Alabama. But it was exactly what I needed, and I really felt very much at home there. I remember when my first sponsor... Um, and it was a very small group. I mean, you know, you were lucky if five people showed up. That was a big meeting, you know, and where, where you came from. So I was lucky to even have a sponsor. And I remember when she was telling me, you know, um, we don't eat sugar or we don't eat binge foods. We don't do these certain things. You know, most people that are successful in no way, they give up sugar. And I thought that she was just insane. I thought she was insane. And I thought, well, I know you had to give up sugar. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I have to give up sugar. And I'm going to be the exception. I know all of you have tried, but I'm going to figure out a way to have a little bit. And, and you know, I'm going to figure out a way to have a little bit. I tried, and it never, ever, ever worked out for me. I was never able to have a sliver. I was never able to have, you know, one meal where I could just 
you know, eat what I wanted to eat because that one meal always came to the next meal, to the next meal, to the next meal. Then it would be, okay, well, I'll start on Monday. And, you know, I'd start on Monday and things would be pretty good until lunchtime and something happened. And then all of a sudden, well, you know, there's tomorrow or hell, there's even next Monday. So, I mean, you know, but before then, I can eat what I want because, you know, I've got, at some point I got to get back on the wagon. And so before I get back on the wagon, let me just make sure that I'm, but that happened like over and over and over again. And even my first year in program, I spent that entire year trying to prove that I was the exception to the rule that I could, me and sugar could coexist. And I found we could not. So when it became another time, another time banging my head into the very hard brick wall, I finally had to say stop. And it took me two years to get off sugar. And for five years, I had the peace that is not having sugar in my what I ate it was amazing and it kind of gave me a taste of what abstinence and, and peace and clarity could really be the only reason why I'm somewhat hesitant to say that I, I was abstaining from certain things during that five-year period that I didn't have sugar but I really now that I see really what abstinence is I can't really say that I was abstinent I was abstaining but I wasn't abstinent because there were still things that I was eating that weren't quite right. To clarify that just a little bit, even during that five-year period where I didn't have sugar, I would have eaten. I just wasn't. I, I would have eaten compulsively. Like if I, if it was up to me, I mean, I was, I was kind of white knuckling it a bit. It wasn't where the problem was removed. And I know people. I know people who tell me, "Oh yeah, you know, I've been off sugar and I've been, you know, abstinent for." 25 years and you know they have this peace about them and I look at them and I'm like well how do you do that I don't understand how you do that how do you do that it was this big mystery to me and it wasn't until um, I had a really bad relapse for two and a half years I met a sponsor at an OA birthday party and she took me through the steps using the um, big books big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and oh my gosh it was just like everything in my life opened anew it was then that I realized all of the things that I was doing um, that wasn't really honest with food. So there were two things that I ended up having to give up. Pancakes and french fries. They were the two foods that kept me not binging, because I didn't binge with those things, but they led me down the rabbit hole. And I don't know if that makes any sense to people. So I kind of call them my gateway foods. And because they were the last remnants of what it was that I was, I just I had to hold on. I couldn't, you know, I'm willing to let God have my food, except pancakes and french fries. <laughs> and the thing that I realize about pancakes now is that, you know, I'm going to say this, and hopefully for whoever it is that's listening out there, I say it because it's the truth, and I'm here to speak truth. I was a cake whore. I was. I would have done anything when I was in food for cake. And some things I'm not proud of. I never had to go there, but I would have. I mean, that's how far me and cake were down with it, okay? And pancakes, got cake in there. Well, there's a reason why it is that, you know, pancakes. I mean, there was a reason why the, why pancakes were so, because they were still filling that cake function without being cake. And um, when I realized, you know, don't worry about pancakes and french fries. I have you. That's what my higher power told me. I have you. Don't worry about it. If you let them go, I will take you the rest of the way. Mm. And so it was. That's how it was that I lost the rest of the 50 pounds that was clinging to me. I couldn't let it go until I got really honest about what it was that I was doing, and I was really willing to let go of the things that were standing in my way. What I wanted to talk about today, um, in addition to... so. That's kind of a little piece about how it is that I got here. I wanted to talk about letting go of poor body image. Because part of what it was that kept me heavy was because I wasn't really willing to let myself be revealed. I wore big clothes. I didn't get videotaped. I didn't have pictures, which is why I don't have pictures of myself at my heaviest, because I refuse to be photographed. Um, I did everything it was that I could to hide who I was. And then when you lose weight, let me tell you, people see who you are. They got a lot to say. Comments are made. You get a lot of attention. It was the kind of thing that I wasn't prepared for because I spent so much time focused on, okay, well, when I lose my weight, when I lose my weight, when I lose my weight, 
then everything's going to be wonderful and I'm going to be able to do all these different things and blah, blah, blah. But you know, nobody really talked about the skin. They didn't talk about the skin. They didn't talk about the stretch marks. They didn't talk about the fact that I will not be able to wear a bikini like other women that have lost weight and don't have the skin problems that I have. That is not going to happen for me. Nobody talked about what it's really like to now have everybody and their uncle come up to you and say, oh, and you know, you're so skinny. And this is my body. This right here is my body. I live in my body. Now, if they were saying that in a way that didn't sound kind of critical, that would have even been one thing. But that wasn't how they were saying it. And I had to kind of really figure out, okay, how am I going? Where are we going? Where are we going? I'm probably about seven or eight pounds under where it is that I had envisioned myself. And there's lots of reasons why I'm not necessarily planning to try to gain weight. I'm just really not planning to try to do that for me. That would entail eating more than I'm really comfortable eating. If it happens and I end up there, that's fine. But I give that to God. And for whatever reason, this is the weight that I'm supposed to be. I actually feel pretty good, and other people that have an opinion about that, they can have their opinion. And a lot of times I kind of find that people who like to talk about other people's weight, that's their insecurity. I don't have to let their insecurity become my insecurity. I am now at the point, thanks to this program, that I look at myself in the mirror naked and I can say my, I love myself and I can be perfectly okay with that. And that is a miracle. How did I get there? I'm trying to think in like 50 words of how did I get there? <laughs> I'll tell you the gripes and then I'll kind of, hopefully that it will all be pieced in. My arms, I had all of these complaints about my arms. I had complaints that my arms were too big. I had complaints that you know, my breasts weren't in the place where they were supposed to be. They were too big. They were At one point, they were too big. Now, I got a breast reduction from losing weight, but it wasn't the reduction I thought. It was a very different type of reduction. And again, I noticed, oh my, um, maybe I need a, a breast augmentation. Are you serious? <laughs> I mean, I asked myself that. Are you serious? Because here's the deal. With all the skin that I have, I could have a very expensive surgery, and I could get rid of the skin. And then I'm taut and I'm toned and I'm, you know, ready for the cover of the magazine. But then I've got scars because black people, we have scars and they're obvious scars. And so it's not a kind of situation where I'm not explaining anything. I'm just explaining scars instead of skin. I had to figure out that either I'm going to be happy and this is it or I'm not going to be happy. And I don't want to live like that. I don't know how many days God has given me in this life. If I have one more day, I don't want to spend any of it hating myself, thinking that I'm not good enough. This body is a temple, and God has given it to me as a gift. And every day that I have it and take care of it, and every day that I talk badly to it or about it, I'm basically saying, God, I don't think you got, you know, I think you make mistakes, and I think you don't have such good judgment. There are people with these arms that do whatever it is that these arms do. There are people that are amputees, and they would love these arms. The stomach that now doesn't have the elasticity because it nurtured two babies. Two babies were in this stomach at one time. And my stomach accommodated that. With all of the things that I have put my body through, all of the things that I have done to destroy myself, here I am. These legs that have all the skin in the middle, they're still supporting me. I run now, people. I run. I don't just walk. There was a time when I could never have done that. And that really wasn't that long ago. I run now. I can do full body push-ups with these arms, about 30 of them. I couldn't have never done that before. So how can I hate a body that has performed so well, and after I put it through so many changes, it's still showing up for me every single day? Doesn't give me pain, performs just the way that it's supposed to? No, no, you have seven minutes. Okay. So that's how it is that I have been able to really improve my body image and really let go a lot of those, that negative self-talk. And so it's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm recently, I say recently last year, I'm single now. And I'm kind of faced with the situation that not really anybody has seen me since I've lost weight. 
So I have kind of like, okay, well, how is that going to go? Is somebody going to think it's weird and blah, blah, blah. And here's what it is that I'm thinking. I figured out and God revealed to me. People are worried about what you're thinking about them. They are not worried about, you know, they're not looking at you. They're thinking if they love you and you've gotten to the point where you're naked together, trust me, it's all good. There's no evaluation going on at this point after that. So get over yourself and just live. Just just be a part of this thing, of this gift that I've given you called life. What an amazing thing that I figured out. So now I don't have to be worried. Whoever it is that is going to be my next big adventure, they're good with the body. They're good. It's all good. And now I can be good too. So I can show up fully for that instead of hiding behind all the self-centeredness and all of this stuff that keeps me from showing up in my life. So that's a little bit about body image that I just wanted to share with you. The other thing, letting go of, um, and since I've got some time, this is really exciting, um, letting go of my character defects. That has been probably a much harder struggle. The character defect thing has been a much harder struggle than actually letting go of the food. Um, the thing about food is it's, you know, it's a problem, food and weight. It's a problem until it's not. And then when it's not, then it's like, oh, wow, you've got all these things. You've got self-righteousness, and you've got gossiping, and you've got, you know, criticism, and you've got dishonesty. I probably, and what it was, not really so much anymore, was one of the most dishonest people that I know. And not dishonest in a, you know, dishonest from the perspective that I was an addict and that was so lying was a way of life that kind of dishonesty not just I go to my line because it's fun not that kind of dishonesty it's like you know when you have an addiction you don't even know what the truth is anymore and so that's the kind of dishonest that I'm talking about and it's like in the last year or so God has done everything it is that he is possible to remove from me my need to be dishonest my need to be judgmental of others, my need to speak harshly of other people. He has given me so much more acceptance of my brothers and sisters. And because I'm trying so hard, and actually it's getting a lot easier, so I'm not even trying hard anymore, to see every person I encounter as someone just like me, no better, no worse. We're both walking in life and for whatever minutes that we have to share together, we're doing that. And they can lend support to me and I can lend support to them. And it doesn't have to be a competition. It doesn't have to be a competition. It's funny because I had to bottom out on my character defects in the same kind of way that I bottomed out with food. Um, and so it was very, very difficult and very, very painful. And I kept trying to think that I could control the timeline on the character defect removal. I thought that not only could I control it, but it was up to me to control. And it was not. Apparently, and this is what it is that I'm figuring out, that just like the food, the food served a purpose until I didn't need it. My character defects, they also served a purpose until I didn't need them anymore. And so I remember being in so much pain because it's like I do a 10-step every night, and every day I'm telling my sponsor, oh, and by the way, I gossiped again. <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking... And not just so that you can get a picture of the kind of gospel I was. I'm not going around just telling everybody anything. I just had a couple of people in my life that our relationship was based on gossip. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when they would come, I don't know if you've ever heard this expression, bring a bone, carry a bone kind of a thing. So they're coming with their little treasures of information. And, of course, you know, I can't meet them with nothing, so I have to come with mine. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and that was the basis of our relationship. This is how it is that God works. And there are actually two people that I worked with. One was my office mate, whom I love and adore, but all of a sudden, God made us our offices. We didn't share an office anymore, so our contact was limited. The other person, also a colleague, was moved from across the hall to downstairs and into another position. So my excuses? Hmm? Had no excuses left anymore. And that actually, just the lack of contact, helped me get a grounding in it. And then I realized something. Every time I talk badly about others, didn't feel good. I didn't feel good when I did that. And even though there was that moment where just like, you know, that second after you eat something that's a binge food, you know that second of a high that you get? <sighs> that second that you get? Well, I would get that from gossiping, from being self-righteous, from being critical, from all of my character defects. And then I slowly realized, just like I had to realize with food, 
that minute was getting shorter and shorter and shorter, and then it was going into the negative where it was not good anymore, where it was starting to hurt me. And I realized the big problem with my character defects is that they were starting to make, starting to make me hungry. And that's a problem. So I had to be willing to do whatever it took to let them go. And I'll tell you what it is that I did, and I will tell you that I am 150% better just from having done this. I wrote down on a slip of paper all of my character defects. I t spent one night, I couldn't even tell you which, one, which night that was. I spent a night just before I went to bed talking to God about each of my character defects and saying, you know what? Here it is, God, and I'm willing to give it to you. I'm willing to let this go. And I'm willing to accept whatever parts of these defects remain in me when I wake up in the morning. That's what I did. Because I knew that I still needed it. If I was still using it, I was still needing it. And God would re eventually release me from the need. And so it has been. I don't have enough time to convey to you the work and the power of God in my life. So the deal that I made with him is that every time things went wrong and every miracle he has performed, of which there have been thousands at this point, I will sit and I will tell anybody how that same miracle can happen for you. There is not anything in me that there isn't in all of you. Not anything. And if it can happen for me, it is for you as well. Thank you so much for letting me share. She's asking for my autograph. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Even before I speak, no. They're just on all the time. Okay, good. Hi, I'm Alisa, a recovering compulsive reader. Hi, Hi Alisa. Alisa. Um, and a person of color, if you, couldn't, if you didn't uh, already notice. I am from New York City and now live in LA. I've lived in LA for oh, over 11 years now. I love it. And um, I'm so grateful for this honor of being able to speak to you all now. Um, to qualify, I've been in program uh, going on four years in September. I have been abstinent that whole time. I was struck instantly abstinent. Thank you. It's a huge blessing. Um, I was struck instantly abstinent. And one of the reasons why, don't feel discouraged if you're fairly new and you're still working on your abstinence. I initially started OA back in 2000. Um, and I came for six months, got a sponsor, and really was just too crazy in my head to stick with the program. Started working the steps. I, I uh, come from a very dysfunctional background, and, and my head is, is really on my own. I love the way somebody put it today in a, in a meeting. They said, um, it's a dangerous neighborhood walking around in my head, and uh, that's why I don't go there alone. And it, it was uh, meant to speak to going and, and reaching out to other people for in program for help and guidance. And I actually did that uh, earlier today, and they helped me. Uh, I'll get back to qualifying, but uh, first let me share about not how dangerous it is in my own head. Um, I was sharing with somebody I just met here in program. She's in L.A. too. I've never met her before about uh, my current disciplined eating plan. Um, I... When I first came to program, I worked really hard. I was, God had humbled me tremendously nine years after initially coming in 2000. I came back in 2009. God humbled me tremendously. I was uh, working as, I'm a project manager. God had me working as a secretary uh, for a third of the pay I was used to. I was very demoralized. I was heaviest. I was a size 14. Um, very sad and he finally got me to a point where I needed OA and uh, I got down to, a, I worked the program really hard, working the steps and uh, got down to a size 4 in program and I was just too happy, it exceeded my expectations, I actually, my goal was just to be the size I am now, which is an 8 and I got down to a 4 and I kept it for about 6 months and I had the, even though people said this is not what the program is about, I had expected everything in my life to be perfect at a size four. And when I didn't have the dream husband, 
come to me at size four and the dream job and when I didn't have things that, according to my expectations I began to eat more I didn't break my abstinence but my meals got bigger and so I'm at my current weight which is an eight could have been a 14 so I'm grateful for that but going back to this conversation with my uh, this person who I met today I was talking about how for the last eight weeks I've been on a very disciplined eating plan and I'm getting smaller towards my size four again. And um, let me just share with you in program, if you've ever gotten down small, do everything you can to stay there. It is so hard to have the discipline to, to you know, gain the weight and then lose, and lose it again. So I was sharing with her my frustration in my expectation by this eight weeks, I should have already been my size four. <laughs> By eight weeks of disciplined eating, I should have gone from my eight to, to, to my ideal size. And, and she said, you know what? You sound like you have a real resentment about um, not being where you were supposed to be. And I never saw it. I, I never, you know, I do, I'm rigorous with doing a, a, a daily 10 step. I'm rigorous with turning over my flaws and defects to God. And the idea that with all that I surrender of my defects and being honest about it, that I never saw that I had a resentment of, to God and to, about myself for not uh, having my weight live up to my expectations, it never occurred to me. So that's why I need you. That's why I can't just walk around inside the voice of, of the dangerous neighborhood of, the, of, of my head because without you, I don't see the full truth and I don't get the type of recovery that I need. So. Already, I've been surrendering my resentment to God about my weight, and already I'm, you know, that's a new avenue to work in that I would have never seen had it not been for you. So, getting back to qualifying, um, I am, uh, have been in, in, in program for four years. I opened up a meeting and closed a meeting in Compton, which is a primarily black neighborhood in uh, of the LA area. I did that for about a year. And it was a wonderful learning experience. Um, from that, I think I was asked uh, to become on the Los Angeles Intergroup Board. And I uh, published the 12th Stepper each month, which is the, the publication for Los Angeles. I, um, do, I believe in service. I do service at uh, three, four meetings uh, each week. And um, from treasurer to, I've been a secretary. I'm not one currently. I do, I'm gonna be a lifeline rep, treasurer in two meetings, and delegate in another. So I definitely believe in service. I've worked all the steps once, and I'm now working it a second time, and I'm on my seventh step. I, um, let's see, what else? Oh, I have five sponsees. I use the tools, uh, everything except making outreach calls I'm really good at and disciplined at. I um, pray and meditate. Let me tell you, meditation is so important. Um, and uh, it has been miraculous in giving me a deeper sense of peace of mind and, and comfort. Uh, I, uh, 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 I write, I journal, I read literature. And so that just kind of gives you some of my background. Now, in terms of being a person of color, in a way, I have, similarly to Kia, have not had, um, I think, a vastly different experience as a black person than um, a person not of color, in OA. Thankfully, I, I've you know, lived in regions where there's a great diversity in New York and, and LA. So that's been a blessing. However, I have noticed um, that when, um, there's a kinship I have with other black people in OA. For instance, um, one woman in OA invited only women of color to her home one day and she cooked us dinner and we just sat and talked. And I have to say that it was probably one of the most bonding discussions and sense of camaraderie I've ever had amongst um, my fellow OAs and uh, that uh, it was a very supportive experience, and I'm sorry, I, we, we really wanted to continue it, and unfortunately we didn't. And, um, you know, that, that, that is what it is, and, and I totally accept it, and if God finds an opportunity for us to rejoin uh, that group again, he will do so. Um, 
I think as a person of color, I feel just as, since you know, the philosophy of OA is that you are neither above or below your fellow, I really have felt that way in program. I think any sense of alienation I felt is just because as overeaters, we are isolationists to begin with. So I think um, we it, you know, may go into a program with prejudices of, oh, I'm, I, and I'm not saying that's you. I've said, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking only myself. I might go into program thinking, oh, well, I don't bond with so-and-so maybe because I'm a different color, but um, that's really never been, I've never really felt that. I've always sensed that you know, if I didn't connect with people, it was just because of my own issues with um, relationships and fear of vulnerability and lack of uh, coping you know, relationship skills. So that, that's just speaking to my experience. And um, it's, uh, OA has been my lifesaver. First of all, I want to say it's a miracle, all of us being here. I mean, God, is it, it's a miraculous that we would all spend our time and energy in developing a relationship with a higher power and that that and and that that higher power has saved our lives from the destruction of food that he loves us so much that he wants to just like he was saying how you started to cross talk but to take away from if you give up the food he will give you a life that is so much better if you just, you know, let that go. And um, I'm finding that more and more, especially with my disciplined eating uh, that I've been in, he has given me such a fuller life. You know, I think I was asked about the time I started this disciplined eating plan. I think around a few weeks into it, I was asked to speak here. And that's that's a miracle that that occurred. Um, uh, opportunities, uh, just more of a sense of peace of mind and connection to my higher power have been coming more. Um, he's like able to reveal more of himself to me. And let me give you a great uh, example of this. And, and it's helped my relationship with my higher power since I've been on this eight day restricted, not restricted, more disciplined food plan. Um, I have felt, I, God has me in this last eight weeks really surrendering proactively my defects and shortcomings to him. So just looking pretty um, transparently at my life, seeing what uh, needs to be, you know, what doesn't fit in with his will for me, and surrendering them. Now, one of the reasons I have started to do this more is because I read in OA literature how our defects are stumbling blocks. Um, as was mentioned earlier, we tend to look at our defects as, as uh, badges of courage, like this is my personality. I'm a, I am uh, someone who uh, 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 likes to tell tales, or I am someone who likes to um, uh, be funny at somebody's expense, or I like to shop, or I like to, you know, this, these things are just intrinsic part, I like to eat, <laughs> these are intrinsic part of our personality. But essentially what these defects are, they trip us up. They are stumbling blocks. They keep us from being the best we can be. And I never really saw that until I read some OA literature about that. And when God revealed that to me through OA literature and helped me to see that, wow, you know, if these are things that trip me up, I love freedom. All right, you know, I like being free to, you know, have to enjoy life, to enjoy people, to make the most of uh, opportunities of, of relationships, to have close connections with people. That's my ultimate, you know, goal in, in life: to live according to God's will and purpose for me, and to be in alignment with His will for me. So. Um, when I saw that these defects were tripping me up, I said, you know what, let me do some more self-examination. Let me do more of a daily temp stuff. And what I have found is as I've been like spending about 20 minutes a day on these defects and turning them over to him, I have felt such support from God. I feel such a connection to him. It's just more serenity, more peace. I go into crisis situations with much more of a steady head and an ability to, you know, say, God, you know, come into the middle of this and then just trust that he's going to be there. Because he's been there with removing my defects 
and I know he, because I've developed that trust in him to remove my defects on his timetable, I have this, you know, growing trust in him and faith that he's going to show up in any circumstance of my life. So, you know, just in surrendering my food for uh, an eight-week period consistently, he's brought to me such a deeper connection to him and faith that it's just, I'm, I'm so grateful for Another great blessing that has happened over these eight weeks is a closer connection to my sister. I come from a very dysfunctional family. My mom is one of us. She's a convulsive overeater. She has admitted she is and doesn't choose to get any help for it. Her choice, total acceptance on that. Um, my father was a rageaholic. He would beat my mom. And um, he would, uh, it was a very chaotic, growing you know, environment to live in. Um, I, another problem, another real challenge for my life is that I grew up um, as a black person in a primarily white, privileged world. I went to school with where Paris in New York City, I w I've, I've always gone to private schools, and growing up I went to the same schools, Paris Hilton, Gwyneth Paltrow, mm -hmm. and I'm not kidding, and uh, Barbara Walters' daughters went to. So the, this is the Upper East Side. I was living past Harlem. So I didn't get to socialize with these people. I didn't have anybody at, there was no buffer for me. I couldn't, I didn't connect with the people at school. I didn't connect at home. I was extremely disjointed. So um, that's the background I grew up in and my sister and I just never got along. We were, we just never connected. And this eight week period, we, you know, it, it's been growing, but we've had we've had an ebb and flow to our relationship, where we'd be good and bad. But we've been really steady. In I, I have been reaching out and calling her. She lives in New York, and we have had hour-long discussions at a time where there's no arguing. There's peace. There's laughter. There's uh, support for each other. There's honesty. There's vulnerability. There's. Uh, there's great transparency and healthiness. And you know, my sister's been ending the conversation by saying, you know what, I really enjoyed this talk with you. And that ability to connect more deeply with my sister has been such a miracle. Um, just to be there for her and to accept her as she is. And um, uh, for she, she's been there for me too. So that's a, that's a great uh, restoration that has been really growing um, in this eight-week period of, of transforming my eating. And I'd like to kind of end with uh, two key lessons that I've really heard in, in meetings um, that has transformed um, my thinking about program recently. One is that uh, I heard food is just fuel. Okay, for all the Addiction, addictive and higher power properties we put upon food, essentially it boils down to, the bottom line is it's fuel. It is there to serve the purpose of giving us energy to be able to move and walk around and get from point A and B and to live. It is not a higher power, it is not fantasy, it's not entertainment, it's not when we're lonely, it's not there for when we are um, angry, it's not there for when, you know, we um, are bored. It is for fuel, and it's like putting gas into a car. We don't over put too much gas in the car, we just put enough for uh, 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 it able to, the car to be able to run from point A and B, and then we refuel when it's running low. And to have that kind of dispassionate view of food has helped me at that most times when with my stricter uh, eating uh, plan to, and I'm, I'm feeling more hungry, say, no, I, I want more food, but I really can say no because it's just food, it's, it's fuel, and I ate the same little amount of food last night and was able to survive the next day, and I can do it another day. So that's been personally very helpful to me. And then the second thing that I've heard recently um, that's been extremely eye-opening, and it's part of uh, well, uh, the lesson I've learned from coming here to R2, is um, to pray for the willingness to be uncomfortable. I heard that in a meeting, 
and it came from another workshop and it blew my mind because I love comfort. If, if, if I could be and it, you know, a real housewife of Beverly Hills, that for me would be my ideal. Just staying home, being able to have a luxurious life, uh, have kids, have all the comfort, have a couple of nannies, you know, eating bonbons, chocolates, you know, just watching TV, having all the free time I want to do shopping and just live a really protected, comfortable, privileged life. Um, but there's not a lot of character that comes along with that. And there's not a lot of reality. And there's not a lot of um, real growth and um, service and, and being there for others. So to wrap it up, um, I have learned to uh, ask God daily to, for the willingness to be uncomfortable because it is my desire for so much comfort that drives me to food. And it's only to be able to break that cycle of needing to be so comfortable and relying on the discomfort of, you know, this relationship with higher power. It's uncomfortable. I have no control. I don't know, you know, what is my higher power? What is he going to do next? What is his will? You know, it's all unfamiliar territory. And really quickly, um, how coming here today relates to that is I wanted to come to R2 for years. I've been in program for years. For years I've heard about it. And especially now that it's in Palm Springs, I wanted to come. Did I make any effort? It wasn't comfortable to make the effort. It's unknown. There are not a lot of people I know that are going to be here. So, I mean, there's all these things that I let get in the way of me making the effort. What finally got me here is being asked to speak. And as I reflect upon it, I say to myself, you know what, if I had been willing to be more uncomfortable, I could have enjoyed this experience without needing to have to be asked. You know, God understood that it would take me to come here by being asked, because he knows me. But I, I admire all of you for coming without having to be asked to speak. But um, unfortunately, that's my unwillingness to be uncomfortable. And um, it's a cycle I obviously have to break because I'm having a miraculous experience by being uncomfortable, by going with the unfamiliar. And it's been just phenomenal today. And uh, yeah, thank you. That is all. Thank you. Okay, the meeting is now open for three minute pitches. Please focus your share on more or less what we've talked about um, and limit it to three minutes to give others a chance. The session will end at four o'clock. And um, we will end five minutes before that, so we essentially have, you know, ten or so minutes. Uh, I can look. I can do the time. Well, my name is Janice, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Hi Janice. Janice. And um, you know, when I think about uh, who I am as an OA member, uh, I don't feel my. I don't feel anything concerning my ethnicity in these rooms. Um, what brings us together is um, the fact that food is an issue, a major issue in our lives. And, um, you know, it was because of the pain that came from eating too much that caused me to come here. Not because I want to join OA, you know. Uh, so, yeah, that's what got me here. And I think that's what brings everyone here. Ordinarily, we would not have anything to do with each other. Even even you and I wouldn't have anything to do with each other because, you know, you're from New York and you went to the school or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. There's There are cultural divisions, there are economic divisions, there are educational divisions, and all of that. And so, but what this, the food, the food issue, is what makes me love and want to hear what everybody has to say, you know? Um, but... Back to culture. Um, when I, when my family gets together, you know, there's certain foods that are a part of the celebration for certain holidays and for certain occasions. And people become very offended. Family members be and friends become offended if I don't eat that whatever it is that they baked or they cooked or they yeah, but. I made this. <laughs> I made this for you. You know? Okay, thank you very much. Um, if you give it to me, I'm not going to eat it, but if, you know, if it's really for me, then I can give it to somebody else. 
I don't, I no longer feel as if I have to eat it to please them. Whether it's my family, whether it's friends, whether it, I go to visit someone in another country and they prepare for me, you know? I don't, I don't, I don't have to uh, do that anymore anyway. Thank you.
um, it helped me. I, fortunately, I didn't run into that feeling within myself very often, but when it would creep in, I could return to that and go, she's blue eyes, she's brown eyes, they're gray hair, they're brown skin. You know, everybody's different. So get over yourself and just be in this meeting. now time to close this session. I would like to thank those of you who gave service at the session and all of you for attending. We actually ended up with more than three people. We have more <laughs> <laughs> than ten. I'm signing up for those. More than just you and I. Yeah. <laughs> we were sure there. We sure there. Um, after a moment of silence, please join hands as we close with the OA promise. I put my hand in yours. memorized so we're going to be reading here <laughs> I put my hand in yours and together we can do what we could never do alone no longer is there a sense of hopelessness no longer must we each depend on our own unsteady willpower we are all together now reaching out our hands for power and strength greater than ours and as we join hands we find love and understanding beyond our wildest dreams. You can it, it works if you work it and you're worth it. Yeah, I would love to hear you ever.